At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our series, Newish. Everything's changed, have you? Where we're celebrating that in Christ, we have been given new life. The only question is, are you living it? Let's turn to Romans chapters five through seven to decipher whether we're living in Christ's freedom or trapped in the patterns of our old life. Well, let me ask you this morning, who represents you? Who, who is your representative? Now, I am not speaking politically. To start off with, I am not talking about what senator or um, legislator or congressperson in either Washington, D.C. or Lansing or, or anywhere else is representing you in government. Although that is a, a fit, a way of maybe looking at this, at least in, in part, what I want to ask you this morning about is, is who represents you spiritually? Who represents you spiritually? The civics lesson from our, our government is helpful for this. The American political system is, is one of representation. While people and while our founding documents tell us that we are uh, a people that are of the people, by the people, for the people, we have this view of it's about us, so to speak, yet still 300 million Americans, uh, give or take, follow a governmental system of representation to draft and to execute and adjudicate law and order in our country. So you go and you vote on representatives, and those representatives, they go to Lansing or D.C. or wherever it is, and they govern on behalf of their constituents, those who, who live in the area that they uh, represent in local and state and federal offices. We live in a representation orientation of culture. That is to say as well, not just physically, but spiritually, we are represented not by a myriad of individuals, but we are represented by one of two individuals. And that's where Paul wants to, to get us to go this morning to think about who is representing you. You have this text here in 12 through 21 shows us that we have a representative head. We have one of two men who represents us we stand in, if I could put it like that. We're in this series called Newish. We're talking about the reality that everything has changed, but have we? we? We look at our lives. Many times as Christians, we think, okay, and we hear, yes, behold, those who are in Christ are new creations. The old is gone. The new has come. And we go, yes, that's great. But wait a second. I don't feel really new. I, I don't look really new. There's, there's a lot going on in my life that really feels like a lot of old things are happening. And we, we wrestle with and we struggle with the same sins. We, we, we are burdened to overcome the same temptations. We feel, at least I do, maybe you don't, but I do a, a, a troublesome lack of progress and growth in my life. And, and we go, is, is being new really what it's about? Is that really what, where we can land? Or is it maybe, maybe we should just settle for being like kind of new, new-ish. Maybe that's as far as we can get. And yet, Paul, in this section of Romans, in Romans 5 through 7, he is, he is building a case for the Roman Christians, for the Roman church, to see because they have been justified by Christ, because they've been declared righteous in the presence of God, yes, everything is new, the power to be new people, the ability, it all is there in the resources and in the grace that God supplies for us. And so last week we looked at the reality of our justification. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ. And I tried to show you what that, what that justification for those who have it actually does. My ambition this morning, as we continue on in this great chapter of chapter 5, is to, is to help you worship. 
It's, it's to take you to see the grace of God so that your, your mind and your heart, really your heart, but your mind and your heart and all that you are just goes, whoa. God has done that for me. He loves me. I, I want you just to grasp how immense and powerful the work of Jesus Christ is for you so that, so that what Paul says in verse 11 actually is true of our lives, so that we would rejoice or boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. That is to say, if you have been reconciled to God, when you see the power and the grace and the magnificent work of Jesus Christ on your behalf, how could you not rejoice? How could you not boast in God? How could you not just have your heart filled with greater affection and desire and love for him? That's where I want to get us to this morning. And so to do that, I want to ask the question, who represents you? Who is your representative? And by way of contrast, between two individuals, we'll see here in the text, I want us to drill down into our hearts and to see, again, what does it mean to be represented by Christ? How does he work on our behalf? The bottom line of this passage here is this, that that our lives are ruled by one act from one man. Our lives, for the better or for the worse, however you want to see it, are ruled. They are dominated by the power of the one action from one man. And there are two people that we, we're going to consider this morning. I know it's a tall order to consider that, especially in our self-determining, autonomous, individualistic day and age. But spiritually speaking, your life is dominated by the power that reigns as a result of one of two men's actions. All of, human, all of humanity is represented by one person, one man, and his representative action determines everything. So who represents you? Well, let's look at these two men and the power that reigns over your life to see the results of their actions. Who, where do we stand? The first person that we're going to look at this morning is Adam. If you are in Adam, if you are represented by Adam, the reality is death reigns. In Adam, death reigns. Great, great way to start a sermon here. Some really great news for you, but it's true. Here's what Paul says. He says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Have you ever thought about why all human beings die? What's the reason that every single person created, every single human being, why why do they die? Where did death come from? Well, the answer here is that death came into the world through one man. One individual man and his one action caused death to come into the world and to spread to everyone. That's what Paul says here in verse 13. Sin came into the world. So that's where he starts. This one man, Adam, brought sin into the world. And now we're all infected with it. And with his sin, he brought death into the world. And so again, we're all infected with death. We're all under the judgment of death. And so death, he says, spread to all men because all men sin. Paul here is working this out. You might feel like it's kind of a circular logic that he has going on, but he's, he's right in it. He, he really helps us see that. Death is spread to every human being because of one man, and because of his one action, we're all sinners and we're all going to die. 
We're built into that. It's, it's Adam's work here. This is the person that he's talking about. It's Adam. We could go back to Genesis chapter 2 and 3, and there we could see that Adam created in the image of God, perfectly, innocently, in the garden. He was willfully disobedient to God's command. God's command was, do not eat of the tree in the middle of the garden. Adam disregarded God's law. He disregarded God's command. He rebelled and he said, no, thank you. I know smart and I know better. I'm wiser. And so he went and he took and he ate. And just as God said, he died. Spiritually in that moment, he died in the garden. Physically, some years later, living out his life, he died physically as well. And that action, his disobedience, brought death to everybody. His disobedience brought sin to everyone. We're all sinners and we're all condemned to die because Adam started the train. He was the one who who introduced sin and death into the world in humanity. Really a, a troublesome thought here. Adam stands as a representative over all humanity. His actions represent our actions. And so his sin is our sin. Paul says this is demonstrated by two things. First of all, every one of us sins. Do you realize that no one had to go to school to learn how to be a sinner? There was no course in lying. We didn't wake up one morning with our children and say, hey, we want to teach our kids how to be evil people. We want to teach them how to disobey. They just figured it out. It was part of their nature. Because of Adam's sin being passed down to all of us, every one of us picked it up on our own. Everyone sins. Not only that, here's the other way that this is demonstrated to be true. Everyone dies. If death is the consequence of sin, then you could reason well that because everyone dies, everyone's a sinner. And that's what he does at the end of verse 12 here. Death spread to all men because all sinned. So I know we like to step back from this passage and go, wait a second. Like you can't say Adam and his one act is my act. Like Adam and his sin is my sin. I'm guilty because Adam's guilty. I'm going to die because Adam sinned. And so now I'm going to die as well. And that's... Actually, Paul's saying, look at the way the world is. Look at your own life. Just the fact that you sin and are going to die proves that you're right in here with him as well. You are in Adam just as much. He goes on to say, he elaborates, he builds this out in verses 13 and 14. He says, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Now, here's just Paul saying, sin is spread everywhere. Before the law of God came with Moses, there was sin and there was death. That's what 13 is all about. Sin is not counted where there is no law, but yet it does bear out the results. Everyone died. If you read Genesis 5, it's this litany of... uh, genealogy. It's these names of of a family tree, Adam, his children, his children, all the way down. And the refrain through chapter five of Genesis is, he lived and he died. He died. He died. Human being after human being, everybody's toast. Everybody dies. Again, demonstrating how we all are under sin. We are all in sin. And so Adam's sin is there. It's spreading Everyone is dying. Death is reigning from Adam to Moses. Even if they didn't do the same type of sin as Adam did, some chose adultery, some chose murder, some were just wicked, rampantly people, and yet death reigns. Now, here's the point. If Adam is your representative, and the the argument is he is a representative of all humanity, we're all in Adam, 
We're all guilty. We're all sinners. We will all die. Death is what reigns over us today. It's true that in humanity, in the universe, since Adam's sin, it's impacted every one of us. We're all sinners. And you, again, you might object and say, oh, time out. Like, I, I could have done way better than Adam. Like, maybe he was just a goofus. Maybe he just didn't have a thought in his head about how to live rightly before God. But I think I could do pretty well. And so maybe we object to this thought or this doctrine that we are, uh, impu- Adam's sin is imputed to us, that he represents us. We re- reject this by saying, like, I would have done better. I just want to get you to consider here for just a moment. I don't think any one of us would have done better. Adam was living in the pure, innocent reality of God's presence from breath number one. God breathed out life into Adam. That's how he starts his life. He's not intoxicated by anything of the world. And yet here we are. I don't think so. Adam had a daily face-to-face communion in reality and relationship with God. There was nothing lost in translation between God and Adam in the garden. Nothing lost at all. And yet here we are 6,000 some years down the road and we've got a massive truck of human decay and depravity and godlessness and wickedness just mounting up behind us. How could we even think we could think straight today if we were in that situation? So I would contend that not one of us could do better. But another thought is, and maybe another objection is, is our objection to someone representing us and us being attributed as being guilty because of their sin. How fair is it? It's not fair, we would say, to have someone else represent us and be guilty and yet, we, we value representation. We, we live it out in our culture. We allow it and desire it all the time. Think about the professions that are built on representation. Lawyers, realtors, politicians. It's not foreign to us in any way that representation is part of the way the world works. Oftentimes, it's to our advantage that someone represents us, but many times it is to our detriment that they re- represent us. I think it's inconsistent to deny Adam's representation of the whole human race and still affirm that we want Jesus to represent us or that we want Jesus' benefit. Here's the point. If you say, Adam can't represent me, then you also have to say, Christ can't represent me. If Adam's sin can't be attributed as my sin, if I can't be condemned because of Adam's condemnation and his sin, then Christ's righteousness can't be gifted to me either. Theologian R.C. Sproul puts it this way. He says, if you are objecting on the grounds that the principles of representation and imputation are wrong in and of themselves, then you must realize that you've taken away the ground basis for your own salvation. It is only by representation, substitution, that you are saved. And it's only by imputation, by God's gift to us, that you are redeemed. The point is, in this, in Adam, death reigns. And some of you are in Adam this morning. Some of you are represented in him. All of us are as humanity, but, but some of you are still living in Adam. You're, you're being represented by Adam, and therefore your life is dominated by death. Sin is your master. Death is your destiny. God is your enemy, and you still stand under his wrath. This morning, friend, I would, I would call to you and say, wake up. 
Come and see. See a better representative. This is what, what Paul is getting at. He, he's not wanting us to focus on Adam so much as he wants us to see Christ. And so he says, think about Adam, who is the type of the one who is to come. Just as Adam stands as a representative of all humanity, so Paul is pointing us to another representative, one who is far greater and far better. The biblical truth is that all of us, every human being, is represented in Adam, which means we all need rescue. If you've come here this morning or you've been in a church and you said, you know what, I'm, I'm pretty good, I'm a moral person, I'm all right, I don't need any help. Friend, I want to tell you, you need Christ because you are represented in Adam and death reigns. We need another one. We need redemption, one whose righteous actions can bring a greater power, and that's Jesus and this is the second person that the text that Paul wants to present to us. In Adam, death reigns, but in Jesus, grace reigns. Here's good news for us. In Christ, grace reigns. So skip down with me to verse 18. I'll tell you why we're going to skip down here. Paul, in verse 12, he is starting up this line of reasoning, this thought. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, he kind of has to stop and say, let me explain myself there. And so in 13 down to 17, he kind of makes a parenthesis and says, let me talk about this for a little bit. But then in verse 18, he comes back to his original train of thought there. He says, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, it's the same thing he said in verse 12, now he makes the comparison. So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. And here's how beautiful Jesus is. In seeing him, he's like, okay, look at Adam, one act one trespass, condemnation for everybody. We're all judged. We're all dead in our trespasses and sins. We're all under the wrath of God. But look at Jesus. So one act of righteousness, one act of obedience, one act of righteousness leads to or results in justification and life for all men. How beautiful this is. In Jesus, grace reigns. His one singular act and its result is justification, being declared righteous before God. And life, how beautiful, and it's available for anybody. He says this in verse 19, For as by the one man's disobedience, so back to Adam, the many were made sinners. Adam's one sin condemns us all. We're all sinners because of Adam's disobedience. But look at Christ. So by this one man's obedience... By Jesus' obedience, many will be made righteous. Now he comes to the point of this. Contrasting Adam and Christ, he wants to see how great Jesus' grace is. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. So we'll see in, verse, in chapter 7, Paul's hinting ahead. He's saying the law came in to expose our sin, to show us our sin, to reveal to us we're really, really, really corrupt and really bad. It came in to increase trespasses, identify it. But where sin increased, as we're more and more aware of our sin, grace abounded all the more. Because there's an infinite amount of sin, there's an infinite amount of grace. Jesus is far greater in his conquering, powerful life and grace for us all through his one act of obedience. So that, this is the result, as sin reigned in death, in Adam, grace might reign now through righteousness, leading to eternal life, through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you're represented in Christ, if you are in Jesus, death doesn't reign. Now grace reigns, and grace 
brings life. Grace gives us life, and that grace reigns through righteousness. He's speaking here about Jesus' righteousness, his perfect obedience on our behalf. Adam's one sin doomed us all. Jesus' active obedience saves us. I love this doctrine because it reveals to us Jesus' work on our behalf, that he, he humbled himself and became a man, and he lived his 33 and a half years on this earth perfectly, sinlessly, obeying the law of God, obeying his Father in every way, at every point, in every nuance. He obeyed for us perfectly, obeying letter and spirit of the law for us. Jesus was not a sinner. In him was no sin, none at all. He obeyed to win righteousness for us. He obeyed so that one day as he went to the cross in obedience to his father and died as a representative or a substitute, I might say, on our behalf, God's grace, his righteousness could be gifted to all who believe and trust and hope in him. And he was raised to life on the third day to vindicate and to validate his sacrifice and his obedience for us. In Jesus, death doesn't reign, but Jesus has conquered death through his righteousness. And so we get grace. If you're in Christ, you get the grace that reigns leading to eternal life. You are justified, declared righteous. You live in the realm of God's love and mercy and favor eternally. How much better is that for us? And that's what he wants us to see here. In Adam, death reigns. In Christ, grace reigns. That's why representation here is so important for us to see. That's why we need Jesus. So, So here's the point. How much greater is God's grace? Do you believe the active obedience of Christ? I sit down in membership classes and in interviews with folks that are wanting to become members quite often, and many times I'll ask a question, how do you know you're going to get into heaven? If you die today and you were to stand before God and he were to say, why should I let you in heaven? How do you answer that question? And most times I hear the right things. I hear it's because God has saved me. It's, it's the good news of what Jesus has done. It's, it's the reality of the gospel. And, and I've trusted him. Every once in a while, though, I hear someone will say, well, I'm sincere. Friends, your sincerity will not get you into Christ. Or they'll say, well, I've, I've been a good person, and I've, I've changed, and I've done good things. Again, friends, your good works will not get you into heaven. They are not the means by which you receive eternal life. Your good works don't amount to help you in any way before God. The only thing that you can plead before God, the only thing that saves us is Jesus' work. Christ's perfect, righteous obedience. We can't save ourselves. Our good works can't get us in. It is Christ and his work and his work alone that saves us. And this is the point of faith. Us depending on not our own works, not our own righteousness, but on Christ. Us coming to him. That's what it means that grace reigns. We continually trust in and take hold of him. The statement, without the active obedience of Christ, we have no hope. Not at all. So let me ask this question. In you, who reigns? In you, who reigns? Who represents you? If one act by one man rules our lives, 
whether that's in Adam or in Christ, who reigns in you? Does death reign or does grace reign? Let's get back to these middle verses here because Paul's going to show us very directly how we can have Christ as our representative. How does he stand for us, but more importantly, how do we stand in him? He's contrasting the differences between Christ and Adam. Christ, so far greater. Adam, condemning us all, helping us see how different they are. The term here that Paul uses in 15 through 17 is a very important term. It's it's so important to Paul that he uses it in the space of these three verses five times. When you get that kind of repetition, you should probably be picking up, this is, this is valuable. This means something. It's important here in what he said. The term is the, the term, the free gift, verse 15. The free gift is not like the tr- trespass. He's contrasting these two things. So here's the contrast. Christ's action, which is the free gift, and Adam's action, the trespass. Which one's better? Which one is greater for us? He He shows us this by showing us a few things about the free gift, how it's so much better. First of all, the free gift has a better quality to it. The contrast here is in the actions. Adam's action was an action of trespassing. That's the Greek word there. The word gives the idea of stepping over a boundary. When you trespass, you cross into a space that's not your own. You transgress. It has the idea of offending. That's what Adam has done. He has transgressed. He has offended. He has gone and done what he was not supposed to do, and yet he did it anyway. And in his action, in his trespass, many died. Think about that. Adam, in the garden, rejecting willfully God's command to him, don't eat, takes it, and he eats and condemns us all. It's a selfish action. It's an unloving action. It's an action focused on him. That's the trespass. Very self-centered, me-focused. And yet, here's the better quality of Christ's action. Christ's action, called the free gift, and it's an action of love for others. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Paul layers in the terms here. The free gift is the grace of God. Much more have the grace of God and the free gift, the same thing, by the grace, by the love and the generosity of Jesus given to us, abounded for many. Jesus' singular act of obedience, his life, death, and resurrection is a gift of love. He came and he humbled himself. He emptied himself on our behalf. He remained under the pressure of temptation, suffering, and this life on our behalf. He suffered on the cross for us who goes to die for someone else, and yet Jesus does. It is his abounding gift of grace and love from himself, from the Father for us. And so his gift is far better in quality than Adam's selfish, inward-focused sin. He gives himself for us. And so it abounded, and this word abounded is the idea of overflowing. Jesus' love just it breaks all the barriers, spills all the banks. Love for everyone there. That's a better gift than anything. Furthermore, he shows the gift has a better result. The free gift and the trespass in the, verse 16. The free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. So there's the, the contrast. They're not the same. 
For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. Adam ate, God condemned him. You will die. And he did. That's Adam's work. But look at Christ's work. Look at the free gift. The free gift following many trespasses brings justification. You think about Think about Jesus' one singular work, his righteous life and his death, his resurrection. That reality forgives sins. Not just one sin at a time, but he forgives all our sins. The myriad number of sin that you pile up, your transgressions, your faults, matched with millions and millions of other human beings throughout time and history, and Jesus conquers it. By his grace. He forgives by his life, his one time for all sacrifice. It has the better result in leading to justification. So everyone who takes their sin to Jesus, everyone who, who comes to him in faith finds not condemnation, that result, but they find declared righteous. My children, adoption, the Spirit of God living within us, all the beautiful blessings of Christ for us. A free gift is far better. It has a greater result, and it has for us a better future. Verse 17, again the contrast. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, okay, there's Adam again, his one sin that has ruined us all, look at Christ. He says, look at the future that Christ has much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness. So again, same thing here. The abundance of God's grace, which are a free gift of righteousness to all who believe, those who receive that, they will reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Now here's the future that's laid out. In Adam, you, you get his sin and death reigns. That's where you stand. In Christ, the future is incredibly bright. His grace, his righteousness means you reign in life through him. Christ elevates us. He seats us in the heavenlies with him. We are co-heirs with Christ. Kingdom of priests, a royal nation unto God forever and ever and ever. Look at the future, friends. You can stay in Adam and stay under the curse of God and his judgment and your road will end in hell, lead to nowhere. Or you can see God's grace, his free gift in Christ, his righteousness for you and see he wants to lift you up. Not so that you would be worshipped, so that Christ would be worshipped. He wants to lift you up so that you have life forever through Christ, through Jesus our Lord. So you look at these two men, their, their actions, Adam's sin that condemns us all. We all live in Adam and Christ's righteousness, his obedience that frees us and saves us. And I ask the question, who represents you? And maybe you're asking the question back, well, how do I get Christ as my representative? I mean, that's clearly the better reality, right? I hope you see that this morning. The answer is right here in the text. It goes along with the term free gift. What do you, how do you get a gift? You receive it. A free gift is something that's given. It's not something that's earned. That's a wage. A free gift is something that's bestowed, not bought. 
God gifts to us the perfect righteousness of Christ, and he gifts to us his grace. It is a free gift, not to be bought, not to be earned, but it comes through one man, Jesus Christ. He must be your representative. Friends, if you believe the idea that all roads lead to heaven, all roads roads lead to God, or you can choose your own adventure in faith, you are sorely mistaken. It's only through Christ that you can come into his grace. It's only through Christ that you can receive the justification that God gives. It's only through Christ that you can be saved. And here's what he says that to you who would have that. How do, you, how do you get that free gift? You receive it. Verse 17. Much more will those who receive. You come with open hands to God. You come with your, your sin and you cry out. You say, forgive me, cleanse me, I I want your grace. He won't turn anybody away who comes like that. This is what faith means, to trust Jesus and all that he is for you, to bank your life on him and what he has promised. You live and you die trusting or hoping or believing that what is promised here is true. It's what you center your life around. Faith is banking your life that Jesus was righteous and he perfectly and obediently obeyed for you. You bank your life on the fact that Christ died on the cross for your sins. He paid for the penalty of your sin. That he alone is the sufficient sacrifice for your sin. To receive Christ is to bank your life on the reality that Jesus was buried and that he, he died, buried, and was raised on the third day, defeating death And he rose again to give all those who hope in him eternal life. That's his free gift of grace for any who will receive it. Not God's opposition, but God's love. Not God's condemnation, but his grace. Just come to him with your sin and come to him with your broken heart. Come to him with your weariness. Come to him with with your everything. Say, I only trust you. We don't have the luxury of having many representatives spiritually. It's either Christ or it's Adam. Can't diversify your portfolio or hedge your bets. It's either Christ or Adam. So let me conclude asking and applying this for us. There's there's two groups of people here this morning. Maybe this morning you're here and you are represented by Adam. You might not see it, you might not get it, but, but you are under and in Adam. Let me invite you to get a better representative. Turn from Adam and and come to Christ. Come to Jesus, the one who loves you and who has given himself for you. Come to Jesus who secures a better future and a greater identity for you. See the free gift and receive it with open hands, trusting Jesus and Jesus alone. Friend, turn from your sin and your sad representation in Adam and come to Christ. I pray that you don't let another day go by without Christ. He's far greater. He's far better. The free gift that he offers, his grace, it's matchless. For those of you who are in Christ this morning, does this not blow your mind? Look at at these words here, justification. Not because you did anything right, because Christ and his obedience. Like... Our hearts should swell with his majesty and his love. 
We can get in on this, not by anything we've done, but by his, his love. Are you drinking that reality day in and day out? Or are you trying to hedge your way forward by your own power and your own strength and your own cleverness? I mean, this is, this is where the worship of God truly comes from. To boast in Christ, as I said, it was my aim here for us. To rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ means to see we get our eyes on Jesus. And day in and day out, we, we just are undone by his love. I deserve death. You deserve it. And we get life forever. We get to reign with Christ forever. Because Jesus obeyed. Because he died for us. And if that's true, then let Christ actually represent you. Let him stand for you. Plead Christ in your life. Worship Christ in your life. Trust him more and more and more. Trying to make yourself new by your own stuff. See, your identity is secure in Jesus. Those he justifies, he will glorify. Your future is incredibly bright, my friend. So let's boast in Christ. Let's enjoy his mercies of God more and more forever. Friends, this morning, in you who reigns, let's pray. Father, how matchless is your grace to save a sinner like me, like each of us, through the one act of righteousness in Christ. And so, Lord, all we can do is boast in you this morning and give you thanks. I pray today, Father, that those who don't know you, those who are in Adam this morning, that they would see how much greater you are and your love is and that they would come and just open up their hands and their hearts and that they would receive your free gift. Lord, for those who are in Christ today, overwhelm us again with your love. Lord, let us see you. We thank you for your word today. Give us grace to walk in newness of life, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.